From Connects Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses born right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. Today, we're sitting down with Jen Heidinger Kendrick, co-founder of the nonprofit Giving Kitchen. The story of Giving Kitchen's beginnings is one of community, compassion, and the best of humanity. When Jen's late husband, Ryan, was diagnosed with terminal cancer back in 2012, the response and outpouring of love from friends within the restaurant community kickstarted something special. Nine years later, Jen and the team at Giving Kitchen are dedicated to providing emergency assistance to food service workers through financial support and a network of community resources. While Giving Kitchen's story started with the fight to save one life, now it's a story of the fight to serve thousands. And Miss Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Well, we like to start out you know, each episode and ask folks, if you bump into somebody on the street and they ask you, Jen, what do you do? What's, uh, what's your answer to that question? Ooh, I, uh, I happen to have a dream job. That's actually what I say. I feel really lucky that I've, I've had two dream jobs, quote unquote dream jobs in my adulthood, in my career. Um, and what I do is I'm the co-founder of a nonprofit called Giving Kitchen. We help food service workers and we do that in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, we step in at the right time, the right place for the right person uh, by offering financial assistance when a food service worker is in crisis, whether that's through um, an unanticipated illness or an injury, the death of a family member or a housing disaster. Or we can also step in and offer direct community resources to a food service worker uh, when they're impacted by crisis. And we do that to all food service workers throughout Georgia and now Tennessee. Well, I know this is probably not the path that you have always anticipated yourself being on career-wise. Talk to me about growing up and what did, what did you see uh, your career kind of shaking out as? What did you, you know, go to school for? Or what, what were you trained to do back in the oh, day? That's, that's an amazing question because I, I don't know. I wonder, I've always wondered what the percentage of people who, you know, go to, go to school, go to college, go to, a, you know, get their master's or whatever it might be and then end up doing something completely different. And I feel like that's mm. the, kind of the collective of my journey. Yeah. Um, I remember, I grew up from in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, so the heart of the Midwest. Um, and so did my late husband. Ryan Heidinger, uh, which is really the, the inspiration behind Giving Kitchen. And um, when I was little, I actually wanted to be a farmer, uh, funny enough. So still wow. related. I wanted, yeah. I have actually I have a tattoo of a ear of corn on my arm to pay homage to like my Indiana roots and in, in, in childhood. But Love it. Uh, I wanted to grow corn, which is makes sense for being from Indiana, um, but also tomato soup. And at a very, very, very young age, like age two or three, after realizing you couldn't grow soup, then I kind of moved on and then wanted to be a dentist. And, and then, you know, in school, I, I think I wanted to go in the medical perf, uh, profession for some time. And then it wasn't until college I realized, oh, I want some, like a really creative outlet. 
Uh, so I actually went to Indiana University and studied broadcast production. I wanted to be a director or producer. Wow. Um, and Hoosiers. after that, I, I went into advertising when my late husband and I moved here to Atlanta in 2004 um, and have had a collection, a collective of, of kind of those types of, of jobs. So kind of in the marketing advertising field, um, photography and design type of thing. And so currently, uh, and, and what I do where I have found myself to land my dream job is as a co-founder of this amazing nonprofit. Um, and I also am our marketing and communications director. Awesome. Well, you talked about Ryan, talk about, you know, meeting him and then kind of being immersed in sort of the food world as part of, you know, half of that relationship and what that was like for you. Yeah, so I met my late husband, Ryan Heidinger, uh, when I was 17 years old. I was a senior in high school back home in Indianapolis. Uh, my mom, uh, as kind of a bit of more backstory, my mom's from Spain. So I grew, I'm half Spanish and, and grew up um, as a young child with our very small family, four person family. We would go to Spain every single summer to visit wow. family. So I had a really amazing opportunity to kind of understand that culture at a really young age. And so I did, I had an affinity for food and, and the different you know, flavors and profiles and cultures uh, from a really young age, but it wasn't until I was a little older before I really understood what appreciation meant uh, for that. Um, and really meeting Ryan, uh, he was five years older than I was. Um, and you know, meeting him and being submersed within a food culture at that age, 17, 18, you know, in your late teens is really when I like, became more just aware um, and really appreciated um, the talent and the dedication behind food service workers and restaurant workers. Mm -hmm. He was a chef. Um, I had worked in, you know, restaurants myself, um, late high school through college to, you know, help pay for school, just like so, so, so many in, in our country. In fact, it's 25% of Americans have worked in food service or in a wow. restaurant gig, which is pretty big. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really, that's how I kind of fell in love with food from a really different perspective. I had, you know, I had a, a, a partner um, who became my husband, um, who I loved and supported. And, and that's really kind of where that, that different version of a love affair with food happened. Um, he was a chef. Um, we met again when I was a senior in high school, dated all through college, ended up moving uh, to Atlanta in October of 2004. And he got a, uh, a job at one of Atlanta's premier fine dining restaurants um, called Bacchanalia. Uh, at that time. Um, he was there for about a year and a half, promoted to sous chef at a sister restaurant called Float Away Cafe, uh, you know, again, back in 05, 06, 07 time. Um, and it, was, it wasn't until um, early 08, I believe, or late 07, when he found um, uh, Muss and Turner's, which was a, a former sandwich shop turned full service restaurant up in Smyrna, Georgia, just north of the city. And that's really where he found a, a different um, take on the food world. You know, he had he had been so immersed in fine dining and technique and finesse and brilliant with it. Um, and this was an opportunity to take all of those same skills uh, for a slightly less fuss of an establishment um, and really kind of learn the, the business side of things. And so that's really where he met his bosses at Muss and Turner's and his mentors at the time. Um, and he ended up being with Muss and Turner's um, for my goodness, eight years, I think it is, um, until his diagnosis. Yeah. Well, walk me up to that. What were what were the dreams and goals kind of at, the, at that season of life? Where were you guys kind of aiming towards uh, being in the future? Was it, you know, to, to do your own thing in a restaurant? Was it to continue to kind of climb the ladder as a chef? What, what, what was his, uh, his long-term goal there? 
Yeah, you know, for me, it was, um, I always had said, you know, really supportive wife. I loved food service, but I, it wasn't something that I was prepared to go into full time. Again, I kind of had a different career path. And for him, it was absolute love and passion. Um, I knew, he knew one day that he wanted to have something that he owned himself. You know, we're a young couple here in Atlanta and wanted to build something for ourselves and our family and our community and really become a part of, of this culture here in Atlanta. And the opportunity that we saw was right at the very, very beginning of kind of the um, underground dining scene. Um, and, you know, there were these underground supper clubs forming in San Francisco and New York and in, you know, places like that, but there was really nothing in Atlanta. And so what we ended up doing was forming a supper club called Prelude to Staple House um, as, as our husband and wife venture opportunity to one day maybe own a restaurant down the road. And uh, that actually, that very first underground supper club, um, the first time we invited strangers into our home and cooked them a, you know, multi-course meal. And I served and host and Ryan cooked and, you know, did his thing. Um, that was January of 2009. And the, the, what happened through the years following is really just kind of a, a movement of what we've seen in the city. It was really powerful to see what food and beverage and just a refreshing take on culture um, how people were so gravitating towards that, you know, back at that time, it was a down economy in 2008. And we were, again, hosting these supper clubs and at the same time wanted to open up our own restaurant. Yeah. Um, down economy, things were really difficult. Um, you flash forward four years and we're still hosting these supper clubs and have this dream of opening up a restaurant. Um, and it's just, you know, a lot of, a lot of dead ends, um, yeah. a lot of dead ends. Uh, and then all of a sudden 2012 came and things were looking better. Um, and that leads us to the end of that year when, you know, we had our eyes set on, on actually being able to open up something of our own. Um, and then, uh, a, a really terrible moment happened for us. He was, um, he got sick, um, you know, the flu like symptoms kind of led to him missing work. He was this type of chef who just never missed a day of work in his life, never had a cold and, a very humble, you know, great leader. And um, it took him out of work for a little while, the sickness and ended up, um, he went to get an ultrasound, something kind of in the least invasive thing that we could do, knowing that he was having a lot of stomach pain. And flash forward, that led to an MRI on um, December 21st of 2012. It was a Friday afternoon. And he was told by an oncologist later that afternoon that he had um, a six month terminal cancer diagnosis. That's a lot to unpack in a, a short amount of time. But Jen, I, I want to go back a little bit before you talk about, because I know the community rallied around Ryan in, in an incredible way, but I want to go back to that first supper club you guys hosted. And uh, I think you said it was in 2009. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everybody leaves, the, the supper club's over. The conversation between you guys after that first one, you know, I, I'm interested just to hear about you know, obviously you did it for four years. So that was, that had to have been a life-giving experience for him. And I'm, I'm certain both of you guys, what was the reaction to that, doing that for the first time and bringing something to the city that it, that it hadn't really experienced and being able to watch people enjoy that? Uh, yeah, you know, for us, it was a matter of, it felt really natural. Um, mm -hmm. You know, again, growing up with a mom from Spain and 
her type of uh, a type personality and energy you know we're really understood and appreciated and loved the hosting um you know mentality that that one does that that hospitality goes through um and so for us you know we invited strangers into our home um this happened this very first dinner and many many dinners after that throughout those four years but guests would enter our front yard and kind of look at our front door in hesitation (laughs) and wonderment of why are we going to a stranger's house that's real um, but 100% of the time they would leave with high fives and hugs and an exchange mm. of emails or phone numbers. And the individuals who came through our home, you know, those four years are still to this day, many of them are still to this day, some of Giving Kitchen's most long-term supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they are individuals who just, again, who love food service. We're looking for something really fun and creative. Um, so again, going back to that first dinner, I think Ryan and I probably ended it, cleaned up the kitchen and we were like, well, let's do it again. And yeah. so the very next week we did it again. That's awesome. One thing leads to another. And exactly. then there you are. No, that's amazing. Now, Ryan gets the diagnosis at the end of 2012, as you, as you said, I think, you know, that's such a moment of, you know, emotion going in so many different directions. And, you know, how do you tell family, you know, what are the, the coming weeks and, and months look like after that initial diagnosis where you guys get this terrible news and you're trying to figure out how to relate it to your community, to your family and friends? Yeah, absolutely. You know, up until that point, we were sending weekly, for the most part, um, newsletters out to our our community of followers. Um, You know, the very first time we sent out um, the menu and an invitation to our home, I think we sent it to like 163 people. Um, And many of those people were from, you know, friends and family back home in Indiana who we knew would never show up. (laughs) But by that point, our our community, our list had grown exponentially. Thousands of people were, were following and kind of paying attention to what we were doing. And I remember Ryan and I, you know, there's two stories. One was the the fact that, I mean, I remember driving home from the cancer center that evening. We had driven uh, to this doctor appointment in separate cars and Ryan um, gave me the responsibility of calling some immediate fans and friends and family when we got home that evening. And I remember making a few phone calls, of course, to our family first. And then uh, subsequent phone calls, you know, call three, four, five were to his bosses. And I, I vividly remember sitting on the corner of our guest bed, um, letting Ryan kind of, you know, take a rest in the, in the room next door. And I remember having to repeat the word six months, the doctor said six months, just over and over and over again. Um, and just how, yeah, debilitating and crushing that is. Um, was something that I'll, I'll never forget. You know, what happened immediately after that though was nothing short of remarkable. Um, we frequently call it this tidal wave of love and support. And that's essentially what the food service restaurant community, Ryan's bosses, our friends and our family, what they did for us was was change the scope of, of how we looked at humanity. Um, you know, we, we were shown love. We were shown an immense amount of su- support and, in a few weeks time, there was a fundraiser that was put on um, to help aid in our benefit. Um, you know, what was supposed to be six months, um, you know, the funds from this particular fundraiser uh, ended up, you know, lasted the year and we were able to, to you know, have life for that year. And um, this benefit we called Team Heidi, it's actually still Giving Kitchens, a signature event for Giving Kitchen fundraising event for the organization. And what was supposed to raise $25,000 ended up raising over $250,000 in one night. 
Um, and that's truly what kind of changed the spark on our lens of, of you know, how we looked at the world. Um, it gave us hope and encouragement and courage to, to face this fear, um, not only of death, but just complete uncertainty. I mean, I, I feel like when you're told it's death, that's certain. But for us, it was really uncertain. You know, there was the the hope uh, that it wouldn't be that way. Um, and again, this this community, you know, I often say it was a community response that helped change Ryan life, Ryan's life, and ultimately saved mine after he passed away. Hmm. So when you get a a terminal diagnosis on an illness, that's so different than um, losing a, a loved one suddenly because you you have this interim time of you've been told something's coming but it's impossible to prepare for that right but talk about what tangibly that support from the community from Ryan's um, from his bosses from the folks that rallied around you guys could you feel a tangible difference in, in his uh, demeanor or in just quality of life over those last few months, just based on the support of folks around you, did you feel that? 100% we did. There was, there was a specific moment early on where kind of that gray, mucky haze that you look at the world with changed mm -hmm. to be clear. Um, and uh, I owe the way that I look at life, the way that I feel motivated and encouraged by the work that I do, the way that I look at other food service workers and um, just want to cheerlead for them so much is because I saw what Ryan went through and how he turned the path that he was given into something remarkable and beautiful. Um, and the very first Team Heidi benefit, so three and a half weeks after his diagnosis, he got, actually got on stage and thanked the crowd, the 850 people that showed up to party mm -hmm. and said, I've already won. He was given six months to live and he told 850 people, many of whom are, were strangers, that he won this, this, this journey of life. Um, that's remarkable. And, you know, his, his clarity, his acceptance is really what propelled the people that were closest to Ryan um, were able to propel them forward, to, to be able to walk through the journey with him and in support of him. Um, and again, that, that uh, support that we received, not only financially, but again, hundreds of thousands of people just coming and, and wanting to see change happen. And that was far beyond Ryan and I at that point. We, this, was, this started to become about Giving Kitchen, about this nonprofit that came into existence. And the amount of people who wanted to support that, um, again, just completely changed our lens on, on humanity and, and the world as we know it today. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. At, at what point after this, this amazing response from your community, do you start to think about, okay, we have to turn this around and do this for others uh, and create a, a vehicle and an outlet uh, for folks to, to be able to have this type of impact on, on others? When do you start having that conversation? That happened pretty immediately, actually. You know, we were, we were in the throes of opening, um, starting to open up this restaurant. You know, again, things were kind of starting to come together before this, this diagnosis came our way. And then Team Heidi happened, and it was a late night um, brain dump email from one of his mentors, one of my dearest friends still to, to, to this day. His name's Ryan Turner of Muss and Turners in Smyrna. And um, he wrote a letter of encouragement that said, what if this dream of this restaurant that you were creating, what if that could be a form of medicine for you 
during your last year. And Ryan, um, my Ryan ended up, you know, really contemplating over that and um, took that to be exactly what he wanted to do. So he, he, he did, he used his last year um, and, and the idea that Staple House um, could come to fruition, but even more so that Giving Kitchen would come to fruition for thousands of people who needed help, whether medical, you know, diagnosis, catastrophe or otherwise. That's really what propelled him to kind of, um, again, allow that acceptance that he felt to um, really guide him uh, through throughout that year, knowing that there was going to be something bigger um, and, and and not better, but bigger, bigger, bigger and better, really, truly. I mean, b bigger than him, ultimately. Talk about uh, Jen. You know, obviously, after Ryan's passing, I think a lot of folks would um, would look to quote unquote move on or kind of distance themselves from such a painful experience uh, and kind of turn the page to something different. Um, you've chosen something that's quite the opposite. Um, that is a a reminder of of your late husband each and every day and and what you do. Um, tell me about giving kitchen since Ryan's passing and what, what it's meant to you and the, the journey that you've been on since that point. Yeah. You know, for me, again, I, I go back to one of my favorite quotes um, is from Ryan Heidinger. It is anything long lasting or worthwhile takes time and complete surrender. Hmm. Um, and I, I literally think about those words and, and what they mean from someone like my late husband and, and who, what he meant to me. And so, so many others, um, I think about those words every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like I was given a, a big responsibility to, um, share a story, share a personal story, um, not only of mine, but of Ryan's, um, to share, you know, a legacy that he created, um, and wanted to live on in so many people. And this is way beyond me. This is, these are our founding board members, those, those volunteers, those, you know, financial supporters who really were there from the very beginning. Um, and I just, yeah, I look, I look to Ryan as my inspiration every day. I think hmm. I never, you know, envisioned being a, the, you know, a, a storyteller in this way. Um, but if it's helping change the life of someone, if it's helping, um, you know, shed the stigma of fear for people to reach out when they need help. Um, if it, you know, just again, allows the, the work that we do, the so many talented, dedicated professionals who are in this, you know, to serve others every single day. If the voice that I share helps amplify that, then that is my driving mission for the rest of my life. So talk about the the things that you, you guys are doing tangibly now at Giving Kitchen. What opportunities are you are you looking to provide for for folks, and especially in a, at a time now that we're kind of back in the throes of really hard times for uh, the food industry as a whole. Hopefully, we're coming out of that. But uh, talk about what the last kind of two years have been like for you. Absolutely. So you know, Giving Kitchen back in 2013 started as a small inside Metro Atlanta nonprofit helping restaurant workers in crisis. Since then, we have expanded and grown and diversified. We offer, uh, like I said in the beginning, you know, two two core programs: uh, financial assistance, um, and our second program is called Stability Network. So again, it's it's a direct uh, connection to community resources to food service workers, whether they're in Georgia um, or now in Tennessee. It's 
it's kind of a, we are expanding to Tennessee this year, which is huge. Great. Yeah. Um, over the past few years, we've grown um, from serving just restaurant workers to all of food service. So mm. anyone employed in restaurants, in catering, in concessions, in food trucks, cafeteria workers, any food service related um, profession, we are there to step in when they need it. Um, you know, I, the average line cook makes $27,000 a year. 50% of the families that we serve through Giving Kitchen have at least one child at home. 76% um, of our clients through our financial assistance program say that we helped prevent them um, from being evicted. 67% uh, say from our financial assistance program say that we um, made sure that there was food in the refrigerator. I mean, they, these are these are direct, tangible, um, you know, uh, actions that we are seeing from food service workers who come to Giving Kitchen are able to receive direct assistance, whether that's through Stability Network, through our um, community resources, or through financial assistance. Um, not only are we helping a food service worker, but we're also helping their family, their child, um, um, and it's it's been amazing. Um, so over the, especially over COVID, I mean, the agency has seen so much change uh you know we we shifted just like everyone else and really wanted to make sure that we were supporting our food service worker community um sure. and and through those ebbs and flows throughout the last year we're still in it um you yeah. know we're 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 hopefully on the other side we i think we all collectively see that light but you know our food service workers are still struggling they're still struggling from you know mental health and and addiction um we actually just launched our substance excuse me our substance abuse recovery initiative um, in December of last year um, as a qualifying, you know, illness crisis. Um, wow. So for anybody who's going through an inpatient treatment um, and recovering from substance abuse recovery, we will step in and make sure that their rent and their mortgage is paid. So when they get back out of recovery, they've got a roof overhead, food in the refrigerator, water running, so on and so forth. Yeah, it doesn't get much more tangible than that. That's, right. uh, that's great. Jen, you've had sort of eight years of telling your story and Ryan's story now to folks as a, as a point of um, inspiration about what community can do, um, you know, when it steps in, steps in and helps. I'm wondering about those first couple of years as you were sort of getting, uh, giving kitchen, you know, up and running, what were the conversations like with folks that were experiencing similar um, trials that, that you had just been through? Um, Talk about the impact that you were able to have just in personal conversations with people um, that are in this spot that you had been in and what that was like for you. And, and, and did that help you in sort of uh, some healing of your own in that time frame? Absolutely. You know, that's a, it's in, always interesting having these conversations because I do, I have, uh, you know, as, as many of us do, wear many hats. Mm -hmm. So I get to speak as our marketing and communications director. I get to speak as yeah. our spokesperson, as our co-founder, as a widow, as mm -hmm. a friend, who as a wife to a, to a husband who's also in food service, whose job was, you know, he, he lost his job last year with, with COVID. And mm. so, I mean, many different um, perspectives. And I think that's really bene beneficial. Um, I know personally that I was able to have lots of conversations one-on-one, one-on-many with individuals who were struggling and just didn't know how to ask for help. I was yeah. absolutely, Ryan and I were absolutely among that um, you know, you know, set of individuals who um, took a lot of pride in ourselves, which is mm -hmm. silly. I mean, it's it's so difficult to ask for help. But that, those were a lot of the conversations I remember ha having, um, you know, in the early eight days of Giving Kitchen is to 
is to try to destigmatize, you know, what asking for help really means. What we sure. saw, which was really powerful, which is why, you know, the, the type of communication that we would um, offer to the public was it's okay to ask for help. And that was, you know, food service workers, restaurant workers at the beginning were coming to Giving Kitchen and asking for help and they were receiving financial assistance. But then what we noticed was this, um, you know, pattern kind of started to emerge. They stuck around because they were, you know, they didn't have access to um, 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 housing security or food stability. Mm. And so they kept coming back to us saying, well, you know, the financial assistance helped me for a few months. Thank you. But I'm really suffering from, you know, addiction or I'm really suffering and I really need to talk to a counselor. And so we started to build this collection of, again, community resources that could be really impactful to our food service workers and started collecting a database of relationships through um, organizations like CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees or, or others, uh, many, many others. Um, and that's when we realized a few years in that stability network was something that Giving Kitchen really needed to put a magnifying lens to. Um, I will say to this date, um, in our history, in our since our inception, Giving Kitchen has been able to help 7,300 food service workers throughout mm -hmm. the state of Georgia. That's in all eight years. I will say in 2020 alone, we were able to help 2,500. So wow. that should give you a pretty significant kind of percent of increase of individuals that we've been able to serve in our future, which is really exciting. Again, now the fact that we're here and uh, moving into Tennessee and our goal is to be in five states in five, the next five years. And, and overall, we want to be able to help uh, 16,000 food service workers a year. And our goal is to do that by 2026. So um, again, just being able to have uh, uh, those very tight knit, warm referrals to organizations uh, who can continue to help food service workers far beyond Giving Kitchen um, is is one of our biggest concentrations. That's great. Well, last but certainly not least, I want you to tell folks how they can learn more about Giving Kitchen, how they could get involved if they're interested. Absolutely. You know, there are so many ways to give back to any charity, any nonprofit, and in, in, in any time in your community. For Giving Kitchen, uh, there are multiple ways to give, whether it's your time, of course, through a donation, um, many types of donations come through Giving Kitchen. I would encourage anybody who's listening here to go to givingkitchen.org slash support. Um, if you just go to givingkitchen.org, you'll see, um, you know, how to support up in the main nav. Um, and, you know, really the biggest gift that we, um, that we love is just sharing the word. If, if you know a food service worker who needs help, please send them to Giving Kitchen to ask for help. Uh, it's right at the top of our page. It says, help um, or ayuda uh, for those Spanish speakers out there. Um, but that's really it. Spread the word. Talk about giving kitchen to a food service worker who might need it. You never know. You can help save a life. Jen, thanks so much for your time today. appreciate you sharing your story. And if there's anything we can do to, to help down the line, please let us know. Hey, we appreciate it. Thank you so Take much. Care. To learn more about Giving Kitchen and the resources they offer, or to make a donation, head to thegivingkitchen.org. You can also follow the team for updates on Instagram, at Giving Kitchen. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you'd like to tell the story of your business, we would love to help. You can find us at connectatl.com. Make sure to subscribe to Atlanta Born and Brand in Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a five-star rating. And of course, share it with your friends. 
Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. And don't forget to check out our brand new Atlanta Born and Brand YouTube channel. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.